0: The following is a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.
1: First and 10 from the 32 yard line. Fourth quarter, Iowa down three. Vandenberg with time over the middle. The pass is kicked
2: for the Cyclone. That is a major league
0: Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have two reporters' notebook segments in this podcast, featuring Scott Doctorman, who previews Iowa's upcoming game against the Northern Iowa Panthers, and Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' loss to in-state rival Cyclones from Iowa State. You'll also hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and UNI's Mark Farley. This Hawkeye's Mike program is one in a series of our regular weekly podcasts this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as a number of guest commentators and reporters, including the Gazette's Scott Docterman, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show, as well as Brent Balbinot's Press Box Report. The Iowa Iowa State game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network, with announcers Kevin Kugler, former Iowa star Chuck Long, and Chris Martin. An excellent job calling this game we very much appreciate it and thank them.
3: Second and goal from the 11-yard line. And the
2: ball is not loose,
1: still loose on the turn, and it's covered by all guys. James Morris recovered, and the Hawks defense turns the Cyclones away again. That is what's keeping Iowa in the game right now. Costly turnovers by Iowa State deep in the red zone. Big
4: turnover at a costly moment. Great job of Iowa by capitalizing.
0: Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefense Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember the best defense is Prefense. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. <laughs>
3: Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on hawkeyesmic.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts.
0: Time now for part one of our reporter's notebook with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at QCTimes.com. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at SBAT79, and that's bat with two T's. Steve looks back at the Iowa State game.
4: Steve, many Iowa fans appear to be approaching near panic following that home opening loss to Iowa State last Saturday, and Iowa's trophy case remains empty.
3: Yeah, human nature, I guess. Uh, uh, people are expecting a little more, and this team uh, can continue to kind of deliver a little less. Uh, another kind of an error-filled game for Iowa uh, on the offensive side. The uh, defense is putting some awfully good quarters of football together, and it, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but. Uh, uh, this this has been an Iowa offense that is still uh, trying to find itself at this point and, and very frustrating for fans that uh, you know, everybody wants it to happen. Now, including the players and the coaches, I mean, it's you know they're, they're, they're the same. I mean, they're human and, and things just haven't clicked yet during a game.
4: Before we turn to the bad, let's actually talk about the better, at least, which was the play of the defense. They sometimes had trouble containing Steel Jantz, but I think probably almost any team is not going to contain him 100% of the time in a game. And covering Iowa State's receivers, especially on the deep routes was a little problematical, but they ultimately made most of the stops that they needed to. They came up with the turnovers at absolutely critical times and crucial places on the field and kept Iowa State out of the end zone entirely in the second half.
3: Yeah, really, uh, you know, over the final two, two and a half quarters, it it was a pretty good and pretty solid defensive effort. One of the things we've seen the, the last two weeks is this defense certainly has made some good adjustments in halftime and has come out in the second half and just shut the opponent down, which if you are going to have any chance to win, especially with an offense that's kind of finding its way, you have to have that. And you know, so far from what we've seen from guys like you know Hitchens and Morris, uh, uh, you know, they they certainly have stepped up. The defensive line has been fairly consistent. I thought they played a little better like, this past week than, than even in the opener. Uh, there's some real signs of growth there, and that, that is an encouraging point. And, and you know, I think it does get lost in the fact that Iowa hasn't reached the end zone except on on one Damon Bullock touchdown run, in 8 a as a football and and uh, you know that's a frustrating part for sure. But uh, this defense, if it's going to play the way that it has the first couple of weeks, is going to give an Iowa. T- it's going to give an Iowa team a chance to be there pretty much in, in, in most of the games it play.
4: Our mutual friend Pat Hardy has a shtick, and some of his columns where he does Mr. Optimist and Mr. Pessimist, and not to be Mr. Pessimist, but absent those turnovers, this game would have been a blowout in the Cyclones' favor, even absent two of them. And we might not be heaping as much praise on the defense as we.
3: I would say certainly moved the ball at times, and, and uh, you know they had some pretty decent field position throughout most of the game. And you know, Jantz is, is one of those mobile quarterbacks that Iowa really has struggled to deal with over time. And you know, I thought that the that, chance that really showed some maturity as well. I thought his decision making was better compared to maybe what we saw a year ago in Ames. Um, I, I thought he played more within the structure of what they try to do offensively. And uh, you know, the, the more he does that, the, the better off Iowa State's going to be in the long. Run. And and I think that certainly uh, you know I will face a strong quarterback, and, and that that will help them as you know as they move deeper into their schedule, and the, you know when the uh, Denard Robinsons and and uh, you know the, that will kind of start to surface on a more frequent basis. Uh, uh, you know th- this is a, this is a good early season test. It's it's one of those things you hope to get out of a non-conference game, and certainly some good learning opportunities no question.
4: And we weren't down on the field, and it looked like the wind was a pretty significant factor in this game, and both teams, especially with the wind behind them, had trouble throwing the ball deep. Jance had several wide-open receivers on deep routes and overthrew nearly every one of them.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah it's a two-quarter game in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, that's the nature of the beast when the winds uh, pick up. Uh, the gusts were, you know, 25 to 28 miles per hour, and, and a pretty stiff challenge, especially this early in the season when guys are still trying to kind of get their game together. And, um, it, it, you know, this this turned into a game that really was probably all one that a good defensive coordinator could love, and, and, you know, I think there had to be two defensive coordinators on that on that field Saturday that probably walked away feeling okay about what they saw from their guys. Iowa's
4: special teams were decent last Saturday, but the Hawks certainly are not getting much so far uh, of anything out of both their punt and kick returns.
3: No, the returns have been pretty quiet so far, and especially uh, there were no punt returns on, on Saturday. The wind, I think, had something to do with that, and, and I think, uh, you know, also Iowa State's punter, you know is an excellent one. Uh, Kirby Vanderkamp is is a guy that's uh, you know constantly delivered the ball and put it in a position where it's, it's hard for people to come up with returns and you know th- that factored in as well. But yeah, the, the return game so far has, has been fairly fairly quiet. Um, you know we we've only seen three kickoffs, uh, through kickoff returns and, and you know I, Garvin broke one for twenty, uh, which which is a decent number, not great, but it's 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 a pretty uh, solid. number number. It is what it is right now, and, and, but it, I think it has been improved a what we saw a year ago, and I think that's probably the key. I mean, uh, special teams were kind of an issue and have been an issue, and um, you know that was one of the things that Kirk talked about preseason, that the, they certainly were going to try to um, upgrade a little bit. We're seeing some small steps in that direction. They're not there totally yet, but uh, it is growth, and I think that is a positive.
4: Well, at this point, I guess we have to turn to the bad. The offense was about as out of sync and in as you could imagine in this game. Both, unfortunately, both are running in the passing games, and one touchdown in two games is almost unbelievable for any college offense.
3: Especially in this era. Yeah, uh, you know, scores have really, uh, you know, inflated here over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, Iowa State's defense certainly had a lot to do with Iowa's inability to run the football. They were going to make Iowa beat them through the air. And, you know, with with James going 20 for 42 and, and you know, at least eight up to, you know, maybe nine or 10. Catchable balls that were simply dropped by by Iowa receivers uh, uh, that that played right into the Cyclones hands and you know there there were you know, hints of frustration by, behind some of the words that were said in the post game on Saturday um, you know I think everybody uh, you know uh, receivers are out there to catch the football that's their job and and uh, when when that doesn't happen it becomes a frustrating experience uh, uh, you know most of the guys try to you know say well you know it's a work in progress Progress, but uh, they're frustrated with themselves. They're frustrated with with their teammates a little bit. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you go out and you work all summer and you're making plays and and you get into a game situation and, and the defense is, is putting a little heat on you. It, it things kind of uh, you know one guy drops one another one. It, it's it's the old it's the old uh, you know hitting is contagious syndrome in baseball and and I think it works in reverse as well when when, you, when one guy starts dropping a pass everybody. It, they're that seemed to be a contagious
4: nature to it at times. Yeah, let's talk about that just a bit more. It, it seemed like there were somewhere between 8 and 10 drops, um, depending on whose numbers you believe. But there were also the same kind of, in some instances, the same kind of missed passes that Vandenberg seems to suffer from from time to time. And the mistakes actually overall look to be about 50-50, about half on Vandenberg and half on the receivers. Yeah,
3: I would concur. Um, I think that uh, James has not really gotten into that below that we've seen from him in past games. I mean, there are certain times that when, he, when he gets into a real rhythm that he's been, um, you know, awfully difficult to, to beat. And uh, um, it, that hasn't happened in either of Iowa's first two games this season. And, uh, you know, his completion percentage against Northern Illinois was pretty solid. But his game the other day was was pretty shaky. And, and uh, you know, that really is, uh, uh, some of that's on him, some of that's on the receivers. And I, I think some of it's just a combination. Of, of the two, and and uh, it's a passing game that isn't on sync. Now it's going to be interesting to see in this next week, you know, how much the past impacts his his future, and um, you know, it, it, there will have to be some you know some some numbers starting to come together, or I think you know they're going to have to take a real hard look at, at what's transpiring out there.
4: If you had to pick out one thing that looked a little bit better at least versus the Northern Illinois game, I thought Vandenberg's offensive line protection, at least for the passing. Game appeared to be a bit better.
3: Definitely a step forward there. I mean, he was sacked six times in the in the opener, did not get sacked at all Saturday, and that's that, that's a positive. Uh, you know, he, when a quarterback can start to trust the guys up front and, and isn't always worried about the you know the pitter patter of of, a, of an end coming around behind him, uh, you know that certainly is, a, is one less thing that's on his plate, and he can concentrate a little more on connecting with those receivers and making some plays. Uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily have a Problem with the plays that were being called uh, on Saturday. I thought uh, it was it was a good mix and and uh, some good opportunities and I won't let a few good opportunities go to waste. But uh, just a nice uh, uh, nice show of growth from a, from a line that uh, was a little bit embarrassed when you talked to those guys after the uh, after the opener about how many times uh, that, that James had been sacked and uh, you know that's on them and and that's one of those things that you can see at least they took a little pride in that and and uh, you know it, it, again you've got a couple new starters there, and I I think there is some growth coming through. You know, They're not necessarily probably where they want to be at this point either, but uh, it is what it is, and and right now uh, what it is is a work in progress.
4: In a series where turnovers have almost always made the difference, especially in recent history, if you would have told Iowa fans before this game started that the Hawks would get four turnovers against the Cyclones, I suspect nearly all of them would have expected that there would have been a win going along with that. Yeah,
3: uh, you know and it certainly uh that's it, 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 a it's a good trait for for a defense to be able to, to, uh, to one force some turnovers and and, and two, recover them and and yeah it certainly uh you know james james Moore had a huge pick that uh, that uh, could have made that last pick at the end of the game move but uh, uh you know it, it was uh you know again the type of, of opportunistic defense that we've kind of come to expect out of over time, and and I think that uh, uh, you know it is uh, it is a sign that the defense is, is there and uh, is willing to to make some game-changing type plays, and and uh, those guys take a lot of pride in that, and, and that's one of those things that uh, uh, you know moving forward, I was going to have to continue to do, especially as this offense kind of kind of continues to to try to find itself.
4: Conventional wisdom says that the most improvement in a college football team typically comes between the first and second game. If that holds true, Iowa could be in for a very long season.
3: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of those old sayings, and I, you know, and, and frankly, I'm not sure Iowa State maybe saw the growth they wanted to see between week one and two either. You know, and and I think that has something to do with the fact that this this typically is, is a is a knockdown, drag out grudge fest, and uh, you know, in some years that's played out more as more of an offensive game, uh, but you got to remember the last year's game at Ames was a triple overtime situation too, and. Uh, so things were a little different there, but uh, uh, you know it, it's one of those deals where uh, this was uh, one of those weeks I think everybody kind of got through. Um, you know they're going to come back this week with with an Iowa, a Northern Iowa team, excuse me, that that is uh, you know going to be equally motivated when they show up at Kinnick Stadium, and, and I was going to have to be ready to match that intensity once again. Uh, um, it, it's it's growth, but it's also growth with dealing with something that's uh, a little added. It's it's not like you're stepping on the field against, uh, you know, your, your typical directional school or, or a hyphen. It's it's uh, uh, growth that has to take we, uh, place within the context of a, of a rivalry situation, which adds a little something to it. No question.
4: Yeah. Before we wrap up, let's take just a moment and talk about the UNI game. How much hope is there for Iowa fans this Saturday? UNI is a pretty good team. They gave Wisconsin a hard time up in Madison. If Iowa fans weren't ready to jump off the ledge after last Saturday, a loss to UNI might trigger. A lot of that
3: yeah I think that uh, Saturday is another game where I was gonna have to be ready to go uh, you know this is a game that I uh, you know I, I'm sure they're gonna hear a lot this week about you and I and the way they played down here in 2009 and, and that, that's one of those things that uh, uh, there should be a lesson in there uh, I think probably the more important thing this week is, is just the continued progress and development you uh, and um, I is going to come down here with a with a defense that is, that is fairly young uh, it's very experienced on the back end. Uh, they have played solid football uh, against uh, a Division II team which they routed and they were able to get all their starters off the field pretty much by the end of the first half. And, and against Wisconsin which offensively obviously has had some issues of its own. So it's an interesting matchup and, and you know, they certainly are not going to be intimidated coming into Kinnick. Uh, you know, they, they've already been to Camp Randall and, and played in front of 80,000 people there. Uh, in a, a 2.30 start, and uh, it'll be another another game where uh, Iowa has to uh, to make some some progress. Uh, they're going to have to know where uh, uh, Sawyer Cole Morgan is at, and, and be aware of his passing skills. He, he's uh, a redshirt freshman, but he's also a pretty uh, polished kid for for his age, and uh, uh, they, they certainly have shown uh, the ability to make some, some plays in the passing game that Iowa's going to have to be prepared to defend. Now
4: yeah, that Wisconsin team kind of laid an egg out in the Oregon, and, and how many schools do you ever remember firing their offensive line coach?
3: Yeah, the line coach, and obviously Houston fired their offensive coordinator after one the week before, so you know, I think what we're seeing here is kind of a change in the way the college game is is, uh, uh, is put together. The, the dollars that are involved in the sport anymore are leading to some NFL-like uh, situations taking place in terms of coaching job security. Those are moves that typically in the past probably would have been made at the end of the the Season, but uh, you know, in, in uh, reading some of the things that Brett I had to say after after uh, his news conference on Monday, uh, it, he felt like it was a situation that he couldn't afford to let go any deeper in the season. That he needed to make a change and make a change now, and and uh, it's an interesting philosophy. I, I, I don't, I, I would guarantee you it's probably not a philosophy that we would uh, we would find in in practice here with with Kirk. I don't think he would operate that way. But uh, uh, you know, it's one of of those deals where uh, uh, this game is changing, and uh, some some schools are uh, are finding themselves in uh, a very different mode right now than maybe what they would have been 10, 15 years ago in terms of if something doesn't go as planned.
4: Have a sense of what you think the outcome will be Saturday?
3: You know, I think this is probably a week where I will maybe we'll take a step forward. Um, I, I think they're they're close. I mean, you could you could kind of see uh, some progress. I mean, I thought uh, uh, the potential for some plays were there. On Saturday. They didn't necessarily execute them. Um, I, if Iowa can get some things going on the ground, and that's something that uh, they should be able to do against Northern Iowa, I can see this being a, uh, you know, a, a relatively close game, but I, I think we're looking at probably a 24-17 kind of situation. And, and, I, and I would think this is probably the week that maybe Iowa starts to click a little bit offensively.
0: Well, We got Peter, and they got guys named Blazer, and Blazer, and Taser, and all kinds of Asia.
1: Play action. Over the middle
2: and it's intercepted by Donatel to the 40. Donatel tripped up
1: near midfield by Carter Kowski. and great play by Tom Donatel, his first interception of the year. They went to the dig route that's been so good to them in the first half, and all of a sudden they played it. Iowa adjusted, great play, great break on the football. Good read, way to follow the eye, stay with the man, and make a big play for Iowa.
0: Time now to hear from the head coaches in this Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about his team's struggles this season in the red zone.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, the field's a little tighter down there, and... Uh... Yeah, you know, it's a big part of football, offensively and defensively, if you can keep people out of the end zone. Obviously, increases your chances, and that's something we've done a fairly good job of over the years. And then uh, flipping it around just like a week ago, you know, we got down in there and scored field goals. But, yeah, you know, at some point that's going to catch up to you. And, uh, you know, Saturday we came up short again. Yeah, you know, they kept us out of the end zone. So uh, it's a little tougher uh, circumstance when you get down there. But if, if you can't master that and can't uh, have success, you know, it's unrealistic to think that you're going to be a successful football team. So we'll, we'll just keep working at it. And, uh, you know, we've done some good things in practice down there. We just have to keep working to refine things.
0: Ferentz was asked about his thoughts on the progress of his offensive line.
1: They did a better job against the run. You know, better run defense probably than uh, what we would have seen two weeks ago. Uh, but our protection certainly improved. Uh, it wasn't perfect at times. There were times still where James got hit and uh, got pressured. But uh, I think overall it was better. And You know, it's like our whole football team right now. We need to continue to improve. But there, there were some things in there that were positive. And part of that in our entire offensive performance right now is just consistency. You know, uh, you know, if you have eight or eight or nine guys doing something really well and a couple other guys breaking down, you, know, you end up with a bad player and a no-game type play. So those are the things. You know, the challenges never really change. It's just a matter of how the team handles the challenges.
0: Kirk assesses the play of his young defense.
1: You know, I thought uh, on the field, Saturday. Saturday and I felt that way Sunday after watching tape. I felt like we played better in the second half. We grew defensively. You know, we just had more confidence. We were more decisive in our play. As a result, probably played a little faster. So that, that was encouraging. And Then, obviously, the you know the play that James made down there in the end zone, that was a huge play. And, uh, you know, because if, if they score there, we're, we're in serious trouble. And, uh, not only did he stop the score, but he gave us a chance to uh, do something with it. And that, that's the next step, too, for our team is to take advantage of opportunities. We did that two weeks ago, and the fourth quarter really took advantage of of a good opportunity and uh, didn't do that basically twice uh, Saturday in the, in the fourth quarter. You know we got the ball out there in a good field position and then and uh, went out on downs and moved it on the two minute drill too and then you know didn't uh, didn't finish that drive. So uh, you know, those are the steps we have to do. But I thought yeah you know, I thought we grew defensively and made some uh, improvement. But there's still a lot of things on the film that we have to get better at and things that you uh, and I is looking at right now that they're going to test us on. And you know if we're not better Saturday it'll it'll show up.
0: Ference talks about the play of his starting quarterback James vandenberg and the pressure he and other veteran players may be facing
1: we have a lot of guys invested but james is right there at the top you know he spends an awful lot of time has ever since he's gotten here so uh he expects a lot from himself and and uh he's a team guy and maybe too much so at times but if i have a worry about him i worry about him putting too much pressure on himself and it's easy to tell a guy hey don't you know just play your position but uh it's easier said than done so uh that's the way he's built he's uh you know so respected because of that he's extremely tough mentally, tough physically, and uh, he's he's an excellent football player, and you know, uh, nobody's happy about the production we've had so far, so, you know, but all you can do is keep pushing and keep working, and the biggest thing he has to do is do his part, not not try to do too much, because that that can affect his performance. You know, we're not the most experienced group right now, so, you know, I think the experienced guys feel like they have to do a little bit more, and there's a fine line. They they do have to do more. They've got to be playing the best uh, because it's only fair to assume they're going to play their best.
0: Ferentz talks about the Hawks running game.
1: It's, you know, it's been okay we, we did uh certainly bailed us out on, on uh, two weeks ago. And then I, th- I thought it was solid the other day but there are things we can improve on. There, there's still, you know, Damon's still a young player and, uh, you know, we're still a little bit inconsistent up front with some things, things that we can do better and execute better and that, that's uh, one thing on our list this week is trying to be a little bit more proficient here this week as we move forward.
0: And Kirk discusses the play of linebacker Anthony Hitchens and his linebacking core overall.
1: He's coming around and uh, coming along. You know, I think uh, we've got two linebackers that are pretty confident with uh, Kirksey and. And Morris and then Hitch is, is kind of the, the newest of the group, if you will. He's a little bit more like a lot of our players uh, that hasn't played a lot, but certainly has the potential to be a good player. So he was uh, very productive the other day. Some plays he'd like to have back, too, I think. But he's he's making progress. And, and I thought in the second half he played a little bit more decisively. There's one play in particular they ran twice first time. He didn't look real good on it. And then second time he came back and played it really well. So, yeah, when you see that, that's encouraging. Whereas, like, James Morris is probably seeing things a lot better and a lot faster. But James has played a lot, and he's he's playing at a really high level right now. So you know, the challenge is for Chris to get up there. Uh, excuse me, Hitch to get up there with with uh, uh, the proficiency that that James has or Chris has. You know, those guys have played a little bit more, but he's he's making progress. <laughs>
0: Next we hear from Northern Iowa head coach Mark Farley who talks about facing Iowa this week.
2: They're a very good football team. I, you know, it you know everybody sees the scores and that type of stuff and what I'm seeing is a is a very good football team and you know no matter what it's a, it's a, it's a Big 10 football team and and uh, we're we're in a very tough position right now so it's going to be a difficult game.
0: Farley talks about his veteran starting running back Carlos Anderson who actually played his first college football game in Kinnick Stadium against the Hawkeyes in the 2009 thriller.
2: That, that I believe was his first football game and uh, I think he got to start that day but uh, he went out there as a you know a raw and, and 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 just played with instincts and 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 the talent that he was and you know he made some people miss that day. But you know, since then he's you know he understands what we're doing on offense now, and you know there's maybe back then he was just involved in the run game, but now he's part of the passing game and all the other things that we do here. So he's he's really become a, a very good running back for us, and we're always looking for the two running back system. And I think that uh, he and David uh, are are good complements to each other. And Carlos has become a good leader. He's he's more vocal now. He's he's more confident, and, and uh, you know he's trying to do things to, to let the team understand you know the process and and, and play. Playing in, in games like this as much as uh, uh, getting himself ready to play.
0: Farley was asked about his senior strong safety Garrett Scott and you and I secondary as a
2: whole. The secondary is led by Garrett. Garrett is from Bettendorf, and you know he, he he came in here, played him very young. He's I think he's a three or four year starter for us, and you know he's just so savvy and and heavy back there as far as understanding the game. And that comes from you know, growing up in a, in a house that you know they probably talked football every day of the week, and he was around football his whole time. And he just has an awareness, you know, that, that that you can't teach either. Either you have that or don't. And that's what he has is that awareness to the game. So that alone helps us do some things in the secondary and with our defense that maybe we couldn't do if he if he if he wasn't that you know that savvy where he could make some adjustments for. us. So he finds a way to get in position. And the key for him is staying healthy because he plays so hard and. You know, we use him in so many different ways that, you know, he... He puts a. Uh, he comes up, and makes a lot of tackles for us. So he just needs to stay healthy, and uh, when he's when he's healthy, he's an excellent player. And then in secondary, you know, it, it swings our team a lot because you know we have all seniors back there, and and they have to they have to do some things for us if we're going to be successful uh, with with a young front seven. And, and as of today, they've been doing a good job. But you know, we're still untested. We're we're going to get tested on Saturday because you know I'm looking at I'm looking at a lot better speed at receiver now. Coming out of Iowa and, and 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 getting vertical downfield that they didn't do before, so the vertical threats and the and the things they're doing right now are, are you know are going to put a put a secondary to test, uh, and uh, you know that that whole group will be instrumental in, in in how we perform on Saturday.
0: Farley assesses the development of his senior leadership on this team and the tough three-game stretch I is facing.
2: It's, I think it's too early to tell. I mean okay. we're just getting it. We're just getting the thick of this thing. Last week we didn't get tested, and the week before was the first game, so. So, you know, I think I think in the next three to weeks, ask me that. Ask that in three weeks from now, and I think uh, our production and our our ability to play, and because we got three adverse situations coming up, three three week three weeks of intense adversity, two road games and and, and a tough home game. So in three weeks, we'll either be in it or out of it. And, and uh, and and the seniors will be a big part of uh, the outcome uh, once we get into that open date. So time, time's time's going to tell.
0: And Farley discusses the intensity for his UNI players in approaching this game within state rival Iowa.
2: Oh, I think the you know the players' emotions uh, from our team they'll definitely be high. I mean, we we have great respect for the Hawkeyes, being that you know our our we most of our team is from the state of Iowa. So you know they've always been recognized as. as you know, just through the media is, is that's is that what you always read about. So, you know, as, as a young kid growing up, you you get a perception of what, you know, the University of the Iowa Hawkeyes are. So that being said, I think that the emotions of the game for for a player, particularly from Iowa, you know, will be very high. So that's, that's where, you know, we have to make sure that we do the right things because that emotion will play a factor in the game, and sometimes it's a negative factor. I mean, you get too wound up. So we we have to manage that, and our players have to manage that, but it's more the emotion than the intensity of it because, you know, that's just of who you play and and what you grew up reading about the whole time as as a youngster.
0: Looking ahead to this Saturday's game, some interesting notes and facts. Both teams, Iowa and UNI, come into this game 1-1, and but you have to think UNI feels much better about their record than the Hawkeyes do after their loss to Iowa State. Northern Iowa played very well at Wisconsin. They could very well have won that game. They certainly will not be in awe when they run out of the visitor's tunnel at Kinnick on Saturday. Iowa has a 14-1 and record against UNI overall. The only Panthers win came in the first game of game. this series way back in 1898, the teams last met in 2009 in that game where Iowa had to block two consecutive field goal attempts as the clock expired in order to preserve its victory over Northern Iowa. Kirk Ferentz is in his 14th year as Iowa head coach and is now dean of the Big Ten coaches. His record overall, 109-88, and he's 97-67 and with the Hawkeyes. Mark Farley is an excellent coach, he's in his 12th year at UNI, which is his alma mater, He has a record of 140. His teams are consistently ranked high nationally, and they are regulars in FCS playoffs. This home game is the annual Be Bold Wear Gold Day at Kinnick, and it's also Varsity Club weekend. And a real treat for Iowa fans should be the honoring of the 2002 Hawkeyes football team that posted an 11-2 record, including a perfect Big Ten mark of 8-0, a share of the conference championship, and earned a trip to the Orange Bowl. That team also finished the season ranked 8th 8th nationally and led the Big Ten in scoring, posting an average of 37.2 points per game under the leadership of quarterback Brad Banks, kicker Nate Kading, and tight end Dallas Clark. Maybe those guys can provide some tips for this current Iowa offense, which is averaging a meager 12 points per game. Incidentally, UNI's tight ends coach, Dan Clark, who previously served as a grad assistant at Iowa, is the brother of Dallas Clark. And both Ferentz and Farley have sons on their respective teams this season. James and Stephen Ference both suit up for the Hawkeyes, and Jake Farley is a UNI linebacker. In case you're wondering just how good UNI is, well, they were picked to finish second in the Missouri Valley Conference this year. They're currently ranked seventh nationally in the FCS. They've won their conference title the past three seasons, five times out of the last seven years, and seven times since 2001. They've also advanced to the playoffs in each of the past five years, and last, but But not least, UNI has been ranked in the top 25 in 95 consecutive FCS polls dating back to November of 2004. Iowa will have its hands full on Saturday. It badly needs a win in this game, and it desperately needs to get some consistency on offense. Part two of our reporter's notebook this week features Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at thegazette.com. Scott's Gazette blog is Doc's office. He's on Twitter, at Scott Docterman. In this season, he's also part of WMT Radio's Hawkeye pregame coverage three hours before Iowa home game kickoffs. Scott previews the Iowa UNI
4: game. Scott, before we turn to the UNI game, any lingering thoughts from the home loss to Iowa State?
5: Well, I think uh, you know first got to take away how good Iowa State is. And I know a lot of Iowa fans don't want to recognize that, but I think you have to. I think you have to give Iowa State it's due. It has a, a balanced offense. Uh, it has a terrific defense. They were able to replace the starters. They were able to uh, put forth a, a real strong effort smothering Iowa's receivers, and uh, that, that made it difficult. That said, uh Iowa did not produce offensively at all, not in any stretch what it needs to do. The receivers too often were guarded. The, cut, the, uh, the play calling was a little bit suspect. And uh, the execution was poor. I mean, when you get all those things together, that's a recipe for a loss, and that's certainly what happened there against Iowa State. That said, I don't think the season's far from over. I think they've got a, they've got a real chance to get better. And as we saw from the Big Ten this last weekend, that uh, Iowa has a chance to win some games this year, the Big Ten has, has kind of fallen off. Uh, some of the teams have played so well, so I think Iowa has a real chance to compete, play some games, and, and do some good things this year.
4: You and I are strongly considering jumping up to the FBS. That's kind of interesting. Talk about that, including how it might impact in-state recruiting for both Iowa and Iowa State. Uh,
5: it could. I think I think the effects of recruiting will be minimal. I mean, in the past, Iowa has gotten the players it's wanted to get. Um, very rarely do Iowa and Iowa State go head-to-head for athletes. They do occasionally. In Barkley Hill's case, who's one of them. I think I, you and I will continue to be kind of the similar spot that it is now, which is they will uh, be third. They will go after the players at once. If Iowa, Iowa State want them, usually they'll go there uh, because uh, there's a difference between the Big Ten and Big 12 against whatever league Northern Iowa will be in. However, it does, uh, it does make some interesting talk, certainly going forward. I mean, you and I will make more money. Uh, they will be uh, a legitimate. Car, which means every year Iowa and Iowa State can count them as a real win. I mean, right now uh, you can count one F- FCS victory on your total towards a bowl, and, and then you and I will be able to count as that. It's an interesting dynamic. I think you and I will be competitive at the, the low-major level if you ever want to praise it for that for FCS or FBS, but I don't think it'll really impact what Iowa or Iowa State do long-term uh, unless the schools really falter in the next couple of years. Northern
4: Iowa comes into this game on a bit of a roll, a really nice record under their head coach. They nearly pulled out a win at Wisconsin in their season opener up in Madison and beat up Division II Central College out of Ohio last week. They know how the Hawks have struggled offensively. They nearly pulled off the win at Kinnick in 2009 and they certainly are not going to come into this game feeling overmatched or overwhelmed.
5: No, they're not, but I think this is this is the scenario that they really didn't want to see, which is kind of a agitation an angry Iowa team um, that's aware of how good they are. I mean, they cannot fly under the radar, which of course they did in uh, 2009 because their previous experience at Kinnick in 2005 was an Iowa blowout. So uh, they're a very good program, very good team. You know, Mark Farley, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go on the coach beat, but he, he does a great job. He's got a redshirt uh, freshman quarterback who's, you know, winner from Jenks, Oklahoma. They're one of the great high school programs in America. You know, he they weren't intimidated going to Wisconsin and most schools are, except Iowa <laughs> in the past. Uh, you know, so they had no problem. Uh, they played later on. They uh, they were able to hang with them at first. It looked kind of like uh, Wisconsin was toying with them, but then they figured out late that no, that's not the case. Uh, you and I will be one of the top programs in the country now. They have to go and play uh, two of the best teams in FCS the following two weeks: Youngstown State, and North Dakota State. So it's not. They're definitely not looking past Iowa, but they also know. Their playoff purposes that the following two weeks actually matter more than this week. So you and I's got the type of team that will give Iowa problems—a so quick twitch on offense, spread the Iowa field. And uh, in fact, they're probably more fast-paced than their basketball team is. But, uh, it, I, but but then again, I think it all boils down to: Is how good is Iowa? Can Iowa do the things it needs to? If it can, it will win. Iowa will win by a significant margin. If Iowa cannot do what it wants to do, Offensively. If it cannot slow you and I down defensively, it'll be a close game. It'll be a tough matchup for Iowa.
4: Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about their redshirt freshman starting quarterback, Sawyer Cole Morgan. Um, he appears to be a little bit more passing oriented than the their last couple of quarterbacks, but boy, he has impressive stat through the first two games, completing nearly 56% of his passes and a, a pass efficiency rating of 173.65. That is amazing, isn't it? I
5: mean, you know, again, you know, Here's a guy who's not going to go anywhere intimidated by the scenery or by any kind of surroundings. I mean, you go into Madison, Wisconsin, as a small-level college uh, quarterback if you're making your first start, uh, that can be an intimidating environment. Yet he was able to maintain his composure, beat his team to uh, you know an area where they almost pulled off a, a major upset on the road. Uh, so you know that he's got uh, leadership ability, and a statistic Takes go along with that. Uh, he sounds to me like he is going to be, you know, a four-year type of player that's going to really excel. Maybe the way Pat Grace or some of the others have in the past. For you and I, uh, they've got a couple of really bruising running backs wide receivers, uh, you know, this is a legitimate program, and this what it tells me is based on their team now. That if they were an FBS team, they would be in the MAC, and they'd be a competitive team. They'd be in the same ballpark with a, with a Northern Illinois, with a Western Michigan, some of the other Ohio, some of the other really good teams in that league. But Northern Iowa could compete with those types of teams week in week out. There's a way they could beat the Big Ten every week, but I think they could. They, they could cause problems, and this is a game where they're going to be focused. I mean, this is an in-state school. This is a flagship institution. This is a team they've never beat as a program other than, what, 1898. So, they want a gun for this, I think that they will give Iowa their best shot. But again, I think it all comes back to Iowa. Yeah,
4: I, uh, you mentioned the running back situation. I know Chris Farley talked about that at his press conference this week. They really rely heavily on two, uh, and then they have a third running back, David Johnson, who really appears to be a bit more of a receiving threat than, than he gets many carries, per se. Talk about those guys.
5: Okay, yeah, you've got, uh, you know, Carlos Anderson is a, kind of your, I guess, your bigger type back. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, I, you know, he's actually smaller, more compact, I should say. You know, he's from Blue Springs, so he's a Kansas City area guy. You know, he's 5'8", 172. Uh, he, you know, he's, they've got kind of a thunder-lightning approach a little bit. You know, they they but they, they have enough players right there that it's, it's going to be difficult. Uh, you know, uh, Austin uh, off uh, from Council Bluff, you know, is six foot 205. So they bring in, they have, you <laughs> know, I think Iowa would look at those couple of running backs and say, wow, you know, we've we could use one of them, you know, at least for a year here, and so the, they, they do cause problems for Iowa, no doubt.
4: Their receiving core, especially they, uh the quarterback spreads the ball around to a lot of those kids.
5: Yeah, yeah. and, and again, you know, they, they usually, they throw three or four wide receivers out there. They only start usually one running back, um, and then they have, you know, three wide receiver sets. This is something that Northern Iowa has done for years, so I think mean, they've had, you know, in the dome, they've had fast wide receivers that can move, and uh, this is the same Case this year. So that will present some challenges. But I think Iowa has the defensive backs, especially a cornerback, to be able to uh, be a kind of an anecdote. I mean, Micah Hyde is an NFL caliber cornerback. Maybe he'll play safety at the next level. But B.J. Lowry may be one of the best cover corners Iowa's had in a long time. I mean, along with, uh, you know, you think back to who Iowa's had there recently, you know, Mari Spivet and, you know, Sean Prater and, and a few others. As a cover guy, he's as good or better than they are you know you're a little bit smaller but uh, you, you know you put those two guys out on the island and they will they've changed their, the way they've defended in a few places I, I think they can handle that it's just going to be a matter of can they get a pass rush out rattle the, the redshirt freshman and I think they can
4: yeah the thing that jumps out at me when you look at the stats on a, on UNI's receivers are the average per catch for LeMaster it's 25.4 Johnson's 26.8 I mean those are pretty impressive numbers.
5: Absolutely, yeah. They, that, those are. I mean, they've got four guys who average at least 20 yards a catch. Now, granted, they don't have a real uh, deep uh, pool, you know, to kind of dilute it a little bit. You know, last week, they played a deep finish two game that even Mark Farley kind of referred to as a scrimmage. But, but uh, you know, when you look back at the uh, the Wisconsin game, you know, they were able to, David Johnson had four catches for 170 yards and two touchdowns. You know, had a fifty five yard catch. Uh, you know, this is an explosive team, and Iowa does have be prepared for
4: them. What should fans look for from UNI's defense, and who are the key players for the Panthers there, and how do you think they'll match up against what Iowa will try to do on offense?
5: I don't think Iowa has to worry a whole lot about UNI's defense. I mean, frankly, it's, it's all about Iowa on offense. If Iowa does what Iowa needs to do, Iowa will win, no one precisely. Uh, UNI has, has a few strong players. I think we all, you know, can kind of remember, you know, Xavier Williams is a newer guy and potential tackle. He's pretty good. But by by and large, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a younger lineup. Uh, you know, try to uh, Tim Clark and Garrett Scott. You know, they, 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 it's all about what Iowa can do offensively. That's what this game is all about. I mean, you're playing an FCS team officially, and, and whatever Iowa does, it, it, it's about making plays. It's about receivers getting open. It's about quarterback hitting okay. them in, in good position. It's about blocking correctly. It's all the small things that Iowa's trying to do in this game, and that's, that's what's going to matter for them.
4: Yeah, what do you expect to see out of Iowa? Iowa's offense. The Obviously, scoring some touchdowns at this point is imperative. This seems to me the team really needs to begin to build some confidence and have some success offensively, or this is going to put a lot of stress on Vandenberg in particular, and it could turn into an extremely long season for Iowa fans. Yeah,
5: it will. Uh, it, they they do need to score points. They have to convert in the red zone. I mean, that's uh, has been a really poor area for Iowa thus far. Uh, one touchdown, and that was outside the red zone. So, if they have to finish it off. It's going to give them confidence to get the touchdown, and they haven't really enjoyed that. And last week, they had a chance late, and they had a chance when they're in first and goal at the three and couldn't punch it in. So most of it, to me, starts with the wide receivers being able to get open. That, that's been a real problem for them. Second, after that, it's about putting them in position to make plays. You wonder if their offense is just a little bit too difficult for them to adjust to, or if they're reading their the, if they're having a lot of adjustment routes, are they reading the, the secondary correctly uh, beyond that? So, and then third, you know, James Vandenberg has had some of his best games, and he's just been asked to go out there and slay it. And he's got to take that swagger to to the field a little bit. You know, he's, he's been pressured a lot, uh, mainly because uh, the plays haven't been there. So everybody at every level, from receivers to the line to the quarterback and certainly to the, off, the offensive coordinator Greg Davis, have to make the correct adjustments to their game. Game plans to help this team grow and gain confidence.
4: Yeah, you know, Kirk said something pretty interesting on the side after the regular press conference on Tuesday when he. <laughs> Mentioned that in his opinion, the offense is about where he thought it would be, even if they had not made a change at offensive coordinator. And Marv Cook talked about that in his show this week. He he thinks that there is more of a stress on the entire offensive group, uh, but especially the receivers and the quarterback to be on the same page with this new offensive system.
5: Based on who they have, I mean, you have a new running back essentially. You have wide receivers who never really carried the load. You have a three new starters up front. You can see a stress on this offense one way or the other that uh, it will be difficult for them to kind of overcome and grow through. But I think the problem isn't necessarily with uh, the way the, the, the thing is structured, I think the, the, the problem is, is in a lot of cases, it's the execution. When you get, I, I think the most problematic series Iowa had was first and goal of the three, and this was after Keenan Davis's touchdown that called back. First play, I mean, and, and this is, I'll, I'll call it right now that this is where I think that some of the problems were, were the formation. So three tight ends set with two running backs. That tells everybody in the world they're either going to run or they're going to play action pass. So there's really no need to have corners in out, outstretched out, what well, they do? They ran, they ran, <laughs> and then they gained one yard, and then got stopped. And so, what's the world think? It's going to be a pass. Well, to me, that starts with the play calling, right there. It starts with the foundation. Secondly, it's the execution, because yeah, okay, you know, it's easy for people to say to put a hat on a hat, and drive it into the end zone. Well, if they know what's coming, they're going to be hard, hard charging that way. So, uh, the third down play again, same formation, same personnel on the field. Nobody was spread out, so so everybody. Knew that they're not going to try to run it again are they they haven't gotten anywhere and then of course they did their triple cover CJ Fedorowicz and uh, they still had uh, Iowa still almost got a touchdown with, with um, Mark Wiseman at the goal line being covered by AJ Klein but yet he dropped the pass to me everything about that series was wrong from the play calling to the foundation of the play to the execution of them so to me whether or not it's difficult to install offense or not those are the things that have to change I'm not sure they will but they better Otherwise, Iowa is going to be lucky to be at 500 by the end of the year.
4: Who are you looking at as key players for the Hawkeyes Saturday, both offensively and defensively?
5: Well, I think offensively, I want to see who the third wide receiver is. (laughs) I want to see if it's Don Comfort or somebody else. And I want to see them get open. I want to see them make catches when the ball hits their hands. Uh, To me, that will be the difference in what the offense can and can't do, because they're going to have a third weapon out there as wide wide receiver, and that allows for Keenan Davis, Kevontae Martin-Mann, and CJ Fedorowicz to get open, and and uh, James Annenberg's proved to be a very streaky quarterback. When he can find those openings, he can really hit them. On defense, I want to see what the defense fans do again. Um, I like the way Joe Gagnon and Dominic Alvis have played so far this year. They've been active. That was the area most concerning for me going into the season, and yet they've really uh, gone beyond what I thought they could do so far. And if they can continue to play that way, um, Iowa has a really nice tandem here this year. So I want to see what they can do again against an offense like Northern Iowa, see how they could this the passing game. Um, I'm going to go Iowa. I think Iowa is, is, a, is a better team. I think they'll finally get out of their funk a little bit. Uh, they're pretty close to doing it. I'm going to go Iowa 31-14. to 14. I think this is a convincing win for the
2: Hawkeyes.
4: Uh, just a couple of Big Ten notes here before we sign off. Kind of a weird week in the conference. Um, you already talked about how it might be a little weaker than maybe some expected, but the two things that jumped out of me, of course, one of them was Brett Bielma at, at Wisconsin firing his offense line coach after two weeks. And then the most interesting post-game comment goes to Northwestern's head coach, Pat Fitzgerald. In their game against Vanderbilt, the Wildcats' right outs had quite a few drops. Sounds similar, doesn't it? But he was asked about that problem, and Fitzgerald said that his players are essentially getting $60,000 a year to catch passes, and they better start catching them. I can't imagine Ferentz saying or doing either one of those things, even though some coaches might think about it sometimes.
5: Yeah, I mean, Kirk's so reserved in front of the public, you know, it's it's hard to get a read on what he really is thinking. And if he's really thinking <laughs> the, way, the way he comes across, then you kind of wonder what's all up there. But And we know that it's all, you know, structured in his manner. But I like what Pat Fitzgerald said. I mean, that puts the onus on the player, you know. No, no need to try to cover up for They're young men. They are, they, in his case, yeah, they're getting a $60,000 a year education to catch the ball. And they're not catching it. Catch it. That's all it is. it doesn't catch it. You know, so I, I really like that. That's the old linebacker in, in Fitzgerald coming out. And then, two, you know, you look at Brett Bielema, and um, it did. It sounded like it wasn't a real good fit in Wisconsin. The new offensive line coach didn't coach quite the same way that they were used to, and, and the results are the results. I mean, they ran for 35 yards last week on 23 carries and lost 10 to 7. That's not Wisconsin football. I mean, Wisconsin football is a steamroller, and it's been that way the last few years. So, you know, I, I don't know whether or not to call it pride or what have you, but I think it's it's one of those things where he he decided that it wasn't working. And rather than go the entire season for it not working, he made the call to do it. We'll find out if that's the right call or not, because if they continue to struggle, if they're a 7-5, 6-16 at Madison, we'll know that was the wrong call at the very beginning, It was the wrong call now. Uh, However, if they get going, if they run the ball the way they're used to running the ball, then hey, it's the right call. He made the decision. It wasn't an easy one, but he get it be decisive and uh, things were going in the right going the right direction for those Badgers.
4: let this be a reminder to you all that this organization will
5: not tolerate failure
1: 120 pounds of trophy and it takes more than one cyclone to lift that trophy up but they'll happily shoulder that burden as they take the cyhawk trophy back home once more and the cyclones celebrate another victory over their rivals in state the iowa hawkeyes A 9-6 win for Iowa State over the Hawks here at Kinnick Stadium.
0: stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. And listen to Brent Balbonat on Hawkeye's mic and on the Balbonat and Camp show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com.
5: When I die, it'll be here or on top of a wild woman. I hope it's here, but I'll go either way.
0: Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefense Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefense. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week, and thanks to our contributors, Scott Docterman and Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices.
2: Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really, a lot of hustle. I liked it.
0: This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.